Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to yet another episode of Duckies and Dargons. As always, my name is Mayhem, and uh, tonight, for the final session of 2023, I'm going to try and be your DM for this evening. Well, where to pick off, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, we're still in hell, still in purgatory. Hopefully, if the, uh, the party's actions go favorably, they won't be here for much longer. They can ascend through the levels of hell rapidly, hopefully. Uh, but yeah, you'll have to find all of that next year. Next year, god damn, that's a scary prospect. 2024. We'll be turning three years old in 2024. That's uh, scary to think about. But, anywho, on to the events of tonight. Uh, you know the usual housekeeping, you know, the massive shout out to OnlyCrits.com team over there the wonderful products wonderful staff you know code ducky at checkout in order to save yourself a little bit of money as well as kick some support towards uh the podcast um also go ahead find us on twitter uh you uh you might get a little a couple of little sneak peeks at some of the the thematical content that is to come in the sessions where if i or if whoever runs that fucking twitter account decides to keep on posting them i don't know who i honestly don't know who runs that twitter account but they're if anything is shown after the last couple of days then that is one very unhinged person so uh yeah shout out to duggies and dargons on twitter whoever you are i don't know i couldn't possibly three nine vote mayhem mm, no no don't think that's right there rob any hoodie. Mayhem choke. Hard. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, you don't know, but he's giving me the fucking evils on the face and the voice call, and it's beautiful. <laughs> Grog feels uncomfortable in this situation. <laughs> yeah, well, Grog can fuck off. Old <laughs> Ork. Oh, but Mel, anyway. dear, I'm going to send you a link to us. I sent them earlier. Yeah, yeah you're, <laughs> going, you're going to have to check it out, Nick. It's, it's, yeah. I, I'm scared uh, for campaign two if uh, Tony decides to play his fairy barbarian, which you're going to be so, you're going to stick out like bollocks on a bulldog if you play that character. And Not I'm, to never, never land. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there, Twingle Toes. <laughs> My hey. entire character is the element of surprise. I'm sure she is there, Chuck. Chuck don't understand this. A crowd mad as to why. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, when last you, when last we left off with the disaster squad, they were neck deep in uh, their adventure through purgatory, having navigated through a labyrinth of hazardous and treacherous terrains uh, and an embarrassingly long encounter with what I, uh, I naively assumed was a simple puzzle, but hey-ho, I, I overestimated my player's intelligence somehow. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we pick back up with tonight's session, uh, finishing off the first of two watches. So, uh, I believe it was Elena, Zarin, and Zadrian who were taking, were taking first watch. So, uh, as you 
uh, as your watch concludes, a fairly uneventful stint, uh, you retire to further back into this uh, this opening that you find yourselves in, allowing Meldir, Anon, and Kala to take the next watch. So I thought I was on the same watch with those two. Because uh, Alara no, wanted to talk to us. Yeah, it was it was Maldir, Zarin, and Alara that were in the first watch. Okay, so this one is Kala, Anon, and Zadrian then. Where the hell did it go? I'm sure. There it is. Sorry, I lost something. Your brain? <laughs> yet to be found <laughs> error 404 brain not found <laughs> logic.exe crashed cool cool can you okay. roll a can you roll, roll an insight check for me dm <laughs> to see how much emotional damage you've just taken no, i'm just gonna roll the con save for that Oh, fuck me, that's a natural 18. It's a pity I've got a minus two in constitution. <laughs> Anywho, uh, Zadrian, Anon, and Kala, as your watch begins, uh, I'd like perception checks from you all, please. As I frantically try to load up Kala's character sheet, because there's always something that I forget to load up before a session. 18. 18. Nice, nice, nice. 20. <laughs> well, it's a 23 from Kala. It's a 23 from Kala. <laughs> All of a sudden, Anon explodes. Is that a promise? <laughs> it's the only way she'll take fucking damage. <laughs> yeah, right. Fuck, yeah, fucking right? God damn. Any hoodie. Uh... Gonna give you guys a little bit of time to RP things out. Um, as you as you begin your watch, you uh, Zadrian and Anon, um, Kala's demeanor is still that of on edge, but not as frantic as she was hours what? ago. Well, good talk. Good talk. Yeah, good talk, yeah. guys. Good talk. How's everyone doing? Has anyone gone mad yet? I mean, almost killed each other. I mean, you were, I mean, we've all been acting a little weird, haven't we? It is purgatory. <laughs> Kala looks to hell. Kala looks to Kala looks to Zadrian and says, "What was your first time in purgatory like?"
If I remember correctly, my first time in purgatory was... I think it was the 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 race that we had. Race? Yeah, so there's uh there's very special vehicles that are down here in Purgatory. They run off soul coins. You mean we've been walking this entire time? When we could have been driving! You done fucked up, eh, Ron? Where do we get these cars? Uh, so, before you go any further and decide to kill me after me telling you this, my question to you is, is that are you going to be okay enough to use somebody else's actual soul to run a car. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're dead already. What do they need it for? Well, shit. Our rogue, ladies and gentlemen. Well... We could go steal one. Sounds ideal. We'd have to get a lot of soul coin. We'd have to get enough to operate the vehicle and get us across the river sticks. So, to these soul coins, do they use up then? Once you use one up, yes. Fascinating. That's why the vehicles are relatively rare. They're not easily found down here. Only select few people have them. And who select few would these be? Well, one of them for sure is the ruler of Purgatory. Yeah. For then there's the generals. They would have one. Maybe some of the higher up henchmen might have a few, but that would be the extent of who would have them. Unless, of course, one of those people might have been killed and the vehicle was stolen by someone else that is not a higher up that just happened to make do and came out with riches. If we killed one of the henchmen who who had a vehicle, would we then get all of their soul coins as well? Th that's that's where I I've been leading you to is to find one of the henchmen and we would have to kill them or the preferred method would be to kill them, but if we can make a deal with them of some kind that doesn't risk any of us. We're going to do that now, are they? They're going to want our soul coins. No, we just kill them 
and then take everything they have. This seems fair. I mean, that was the whole purpose. That, that was the reason why that we are walking, is because I am leading you to one of the higher-up henchmen that may or may not have a vehicle. They're definitely going to have soul coins, for sure. But as far as the vehicle is concerned, that is like a 50-50 shot. Now, would the henchmen have henchmen's? Oh, absolutely. So we're going to have to fight like a bunch of people. Depends on which one we go to. There's so there's the one who runs the gym. There's one that runs the the junkyard. There's the one that roll that runs the quote unquote biker club. There's a gym on hell. You learn something new every day. Oh, mm -hmm. oh, th there's a lot. There's a lot here. And purgatory. Yeah. I thought the whole point of purgatory is you meant to be bored out your skull. Oh, no, 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 no. There's a lot of... It's games that involve torture to keep the generals and the henchmen entertained enough to not kill each other. Okay. So, we kill a henchman or a general. This seems easy enough. Mm, you say that. Well, when you say kill, technically aren't they already dead? Is this an undead situation? Do we have to, like, lob their heads off and then burn the rest of their bodies and then bury their heads at sea? To make sure they don't come back together. No, it's more of the lines of that you have to... You have to kill them, extract their soul coin, and then when you extract that soul coin, then you become the next... Well, let's say if we kill a general, hypothetically, you would become the next general. But... There's a problem with that. What's the problem? The moment you become the general, everybody knows where you're at. Huh. So... Okay. Maybe we, not go for a general then. We could just go for a henchman. Let's henchman, go henchman would be easier. It's just the chances of finding a vehicle would be lessened. Soul coins is easy to find. That I have no doubt. It's the vehicle is the problem. Now, we could walk the... On you go. If we somehow get lucky and find a henchman with said vehicle... We would have to make sure if they had enough soul coins to, one, operate it, and two, get all of us onto a boat to the River Sticks to the next level. Hmm. 
Now, the vehicle, would this... Now, is it... It can only be used in Purgatory, or could we use it in the rest of Hell? Do we have to it, keep stealing vehicles? It only works in Purgatory. For fuck's sake, so we have to keep stealing vehicles. Well... The vehicles only run in Purgatory because of the River sticks. They can't be operated anywhere else in the entirety of Hell. So, the moment you get to the River Styx, you get in the boat, give the driver your soul coins to progress you to the next level, and then that's the use of the vehicle. Okay. If it, well, sorry, what's stopping all the other generals from just moving on to the other levels of hell? Why are they staying here? So... Think of it like a open door prison. They're bound to this specific level and they are not allowed to progress further without permission. Kind of like kind of like, you remember that old story where people used to say, say that vampires couldn't go into a person's house without permission. Yeah, it's like that. Right. They're not allowed to progress further without permission. There are times where they have tried to sneak in, but generally speaking, those that were generals at that time were caught and killed. And who who's giving them permission? Who's giving them permission to leave this area? Nobody. But you not, said that not, they have to have permission. If they were given permission. So who's from? It would be the leader, the head honcho of the the level that they are descending to. Right, so, so do we need permission? No, that's what the soul coins are for. Okay. They have their own special rules, whereas we don't. Our rule is we progress further by the use of soul coins. They can't progress further because they are bound by magic to this layer. And if they are given permission by the person in charge of the specific level, they can just progress down to that level without the use of soul coins. The purpose of soul coins in general here, it's a control thing. The more soul coins you have, the more powerful you are. Kyle looks to both of you and says, So simple then. Yeah. Track we down kill a honcho, take coins. And pray they've got a fucking vehicle. Yeah. That's the gist of it. I'm assuming that with every single one that we take down, more and more attention is going to be drawn to us though, right? Yep. Um, yeah. Would I be wrong in assuming that said attention would spread across all nine levels of hell 
No. It would stop at the river sticks. The only time that it would progress further into the further levels is if we killed somebody of massive importance. So if we killed, say, the leader of this level, for example, then that would progress down to the next levels. But if we killed like a minion or somebody that's not of great importance to anybody in the further levels, they don't care. Happens all the time here. How lucky would you say you are, Zadrian? If... If we do things the way that I know how to do them, we've got a pretty decent shot. But if one of us strays even a little, we're all dead. Cool. So we got two people who have been here extensively we have Maldir who's been through hell we've got Anon who can attack from the shadows and at a distance we've got Alara who can fight both close quarters and somewhat at a distance and then we've got me who really only specializes at up close and personal yeah but we might need that oh, i'm not i'm not doubting that um i'm more worried about the fact that as you explained earlier Zadrian, that due to how mine and Meldir's soul coins are manifested we're more of a target than the rest of you so me being a bigger target than say Alara and my primary usefulness being up close and personal that elevates my own level of pensiveness, shall we say. So the, let me explain something. The reason I took mine, Alara's and Anon's soul coins out and produced them in a physical representation is because by doing so, the three of us have a higher chance to not be persuaded by the temptations that this place offers. That's how you lose your soul coins. So, for example, here in Purgatory, the way that it works is, is that you lose your soul coins by committing a sin related to battle. If you do that, you immediately lose your soul coin. 
or the one that's the biggest thing in all of the levels is if you make a deal. So, for example, let's say that this little imp comes up to you and tells you that he's going to hand you a health potion and you're at one health left. And that potion is what makes or breaks you from being alive or being dead. But the imp tells you that he'll give it to you for your soul coin. That decision you make determines whether you keep or lose your soul coin. And if you lose it and you give it to that imp, you no longer become you. You become something else entirely. You start to become the demons that are in this place. You start to physically and mentally change for the worse. You're everything evil that manifests inside of you, because let's face it, there is good and evil in all of us. But you lose all of that good. And all that's left is nothing but pure evil. The moment you lose it. Now, I didn't remove years and Meldir's soul coins, not because I couldn't, but because the two of you had the highest chance out of all of us to get through it without losing it. That's me saying a lot. There's a half choked back chuckle that comes from Kala before she says <laughs> you know Zadrian for someone who's never really had the chance to fight side by side with me on a battle that sure does sound like you have a lot of faith placed in my abilities I do. Then I, I shall, have. Then I shall try not to disappoint. That's my hope. I'm I'm giving you and Meldir a chance to prove yourself. And I do believe that you can make it all the way through without losing yourself. And as much as Anon and Alara and my brother mean to me. I know them well enough to know that none of us would have made it without me extracting our soul coins. Not a single one of us. We would have been lost. So that that should tell you how much faith I put in you and Meldir to get through this ordeal still intact and still maintaining your self being and your soul. But there have been far greater people than the two of you 
who have failed in that attempt. There have been men and women who, for the lack of better purpose, were grander and stronger than any of us could ever hope to be. And they lost themselves here. Everybody's got to fall victim to something. You see, she reaches into her pack, pulls out a, uh, a water skin. She holds it up facing you and says, I'm assuming this is still safe to drink since I brought it with me. Yes. Anything that we've carried with us in here, specifically in my bag, should get us through to the last layer of hell. She Safely. Pop, she pops a cork and takes a couple of mouthfuls before corking it again. Um, I'm humbled. I'm humbled at the faith that you've got what placed in myself and Lord Traveris. I am. She turns and looks at your, your sleeping companions and says, Is it just me or has Alara grown substantially since we left the theocracy? Like, don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not calling her a child, I'm not calling her immature, I'm not saying that she was... I'm not saying that she was unprofessional, I'm just saying that... In the little amount of time that it's been since the theocracy fell... She's a completely different person. You're all completely different, and I think that... Little of that is down to the circumstances that we find ourselves in. I think the majority of that is the role that each of you have played on each other. It's, uh, it's enlightening to see. And it's enlightening to know that if I can paint it as a picture, then imagining a plank of wood spaced out between two bricks and an increasing load that represents everybody's stress and strain being placed on top. But the more that the wood bends and creaks and cracks, that gap between the two ends begins to shorten and the damage begins to lessen. The load becomes less impactful. And that gap shortening is all of you coming closer together, helping each other, molding each other, bending to each other's strengths and supporting each other's weaknesses. I've never seen a group, I've never seen a group of people do that so quickly. Do you not think it's because we've been thrown into impossible situations and we have had to 
mold or else we would have all failed and died. Yeah, you're right. I'm gonna get some rest. Let me, before you go to sleep, let me put it to you this way and keep, keep this as a warning. What you just said is not even half of the measurement of what you're going to witness here. The temptations, the struggles, this place changes everybody. Nobody gets out of this place untouched and unscathed. So the the changes that you're seeing now from Alara, from Anon, from myself, my brother, from everybody. The moment that we get out of here, the moment we step foot back into the mortal plane, we're going to have this exact same conversation again. But rest assured, it's not going to be as cherry coated as you just made it out to be. You're going to feel nothing but regret, pain, anguish. This place will change you in ways that your soul was not ready for. Then let's all make sure that we make it home then. Preferably as quickly as possible. Under your guidance? I'm sure it will be. You've got faith in me, so... I've got faith in you. And you see as she tries to... skirt her way back a little bit, resting up against a section of wall leaning her head back and just not closing her eyes or falling asleep but just putting herself into like a, a somewhat half state of meditation just trying her best to calm her mind let her muscles relax slow her breathing slow her heart rate and just rest the rest of your watch goes by pretty much uneventful Zarin, or Zadrian, there's sounds very, very, very far off in the distance that you pick up at irregular intervals that don't give you too much cause for concern, but you're keeping an ear out for them. Nothing sinister, just the odds pebble falling, the odds scramble, but again, 
nothing that gives you any major cause for concern. So, with that, you all awaken from your rest, your long rest. You can go ahead and restore any hit points that were lost or spell slots that were exuded and begin your technically second day's trek through the labyrinth of purgatory. And Alara slowly awakens sort of first thing she does takes in the surroundings goes into her pocket brings out a packet of cigarettes lights one and then just looks towards Zarin and Zadrian as in to sort of like <laughs> act out as in like okay we're next type sort of thing but she doesn't say anything she's just sort of like acting out in the case of okay so where are we going next kind of deal Let's get a survival check from Zyron. Gives Zadrian a break from uh, from guiding the way for this first leg. Give me just a minute, my character sheet went up, started screwing up. God damn, Dean D Beyond, get your shit together. I I know, like it. <laughs> Hashtag not sponsored. Hashtag never will be. <laughs> it's like, you think I'm fucking joking, bud. No, I know why. I know why. That's why I'm not saying anything else on the matter, because I know why. I know what you're getting at there. Just a lowly little podcast. We're not going to get sponsored by D&D Beyond. Imagine we got sponsored by Manca Manscaped. How would Zaris and Melder take that to looking at their beers going, they're at risk? <laughs> <laughs> Is it bad that I've already got a fucking sponsored manscaped one-shot idea planned out in my head because of that? <laughs> God damn. Your robes will thank you. <laughs> Listen. Lesters, <laughs> <laughs> I've just seen Melder rubbing his temple going for fuck's sake. Just make him stop. Make Rob stop. Please. Get, get the weird Scotsman to shut up. <laughs> Listen, the ladies at Magic Molly's will be thanking you. <laughs> We've heard Not worse. the dwarf. Not the dwarf. The dwarf wouldn't be thanking me. <laughs> what, Dublin? I fucking, no, I fucking picked him up and he fucking hit me because I was dangling. <laughs> no, you, you tried. No, you you tried to slap the starter out of him. Okay. I was having a nice time with him. That's a wee issue. Oh Jesus! All right. So what am I supposed to do? Survival. <laughs> <laughs> using Zarin, not Zadrian. Oh, using Zarin. Okay, so uh -huh. okay. This is where we find out he's got like a negative in fucking survival. No, I've got a zero. <gasps> dun dun dun. Just putting. Come here, Nicholas. Okay, now that if I I don't know what D and D's doing tonight, but it's uh decided to be slow and not act appropriately, but it finally did roll and I got a fourteen. Fourteen. Beautiful. Yeah. So 
fresh after your long rest, you all gather your gear, uh, make sure to double check your surroundings, ensuring that there's nothing lingering around you that could potentially ambush you or be following you, and Zarin begins to guide the way. The passages in this stretch of the labyrinth are slightly narrower than what you're used to. As before, you could walk comfortably to a breast. Now, it's staggered in a zigzag formation. Can't really go shoulder to shoulder here. And there's times where the stone of the labyrinth goes from that naturally worn texture to sharp, jagged, serrated edges to almost polished smooth with a shine that could almost be used to see your reflection in. You walk for what feels like two and a half to three hours, straining your ears to keep sure that you're listening out for any anything following you, any sounds that don't seem to be of the ordinary. As you get to that sort of two hour, two and a half hour mark of walking, as you've been going around various twists, bends, junctions and curves in the path, Zadrian, you hear what almost sounds like the sound of chimes drifting through the wind. Then Alara hears them. Then Anon hears them. Zarin hears them. Melger hears them. And Kala hears them. Just this gentle chiming, this glinting, not cohesive melody, just a sound that lingers on the wind as a very thin layer. Not coming from any one direction, more from all around. And the further that Zarin leads you down this path, the more noticeable it begins to become. And you, you wander down this path and you come to a clearing. Not large, not circular like the one that you'd encountered before, but rectangular and no bigger than the floor plan of your residence back in Amdale, which isn't exactly gargantuan in size. There's been no markings, there's no landmarks, there's no telltale traits that have led you up to here, but situated in the center of the space is a stone archway. About the size of your average door. So approximately what? Six feet tall? Nearly three feet wide? Just this hollow stone archway. That as you get closer and closer and closer to it, you can tell has been hand built. This is not a naturally occurring structure. It's not as though rock has eroded and this is all that's left. This is 
slabs of harshly cut stone that have been pieced together to form this structure. Zadrian, I'd like you to roll an arcana check for me. And if your party members would like to do so and can explain a logical reason as to how they're doing it, one of you can also choose to give him the help action to give him advantage on this. Is anybody helping or no? Um, yeah, yeah, I will. What do you do to help, Melder? Um. I'm going to kind of extend my hand out with his. Kind of get a sense as well. Okay. So go ahead and roll that with advantage then, Zadrian. So the first roll would have been an 18, but with advantage, uh, I got a 23. 23. Beautiful. With the help of Meldir... I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. Um, what modifier is on your investigation? You mean Arcana? No, investigation. What's your investigation? Okay, I, What's your investigation modifier? Well, my investigation modifier is a plus one, but I, okay. are you want me to roll investigation or you want me no, to no. roll Arcana? I'll, I'll we'll lump that in, so it'll bump up to twenty-four. Spending a couple of minutes looking at this structure, the the latent natural arcane properties that are embedded in it are immediate to both of you. And Zadrian, you're you're well versed with the magics of hell. You're well versed with being able to detect whether or not something is on the 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 more good or evil side of the spectrum this falls smack bang in the middle this is about as neutral as magic can be and to give you a sense of it if it wasn't for the fact that this is placed in purgatory you would swear that your mother had something to do with the crafting of this but given where you are you know that that's not likely. I'll ask you a question, Adrian. How close do you get to the structure? I have the capability to teleport away if I need to, so I'll probably say I'll get pretty close to it. How close are we talking? It's, 15, um, 10, 20? I'm going to... I'm going to say 10 feet, and if something happens as I move closer, then I'll I'll pop out. Okay. So I'll keep an action ready to, to teleport cool. out if needed. As you begin to walk up on this structure, you get 30 feet, and that neutral arcane energy is so potent 
that the hairs on your arms begin to stand on edge. You get 20 feet and any aches and pains and discomforts in your joints and your muscles, you don't feel them anymore. You get 10 feet away and you were standing on ground that you swear is literally sapping any anxiety, pensiveness, nervousness, any antagonistic energies straight out of your body. You're as calm as calm can be. And it's at that point that you notice a detail that you didn't notice when you initially laid eyes on this, stru this structure. It's not a doorway at all. Rather, it's a mirror. But the reason you didn't notice it before is because, yes, from a distance, it's completely hollow. It only comes into full formation when you get within 10 feet of it. You are now standing looking at a mirror image of yourself. You don't see a pane of material within the confines of the structure. You don't see glass. You don't see metal. You don't see stone. You don't see a solid surface reflecting your own image back at you. You are literally looking at yourself. A carbon copy, pristine, immaculate, perfect recreation of yourself, down to the finest detail. Except for the fact that there's something standing behind your reflection. This cloud of swirling frost. Almost like somebody's taken liquid nitrogen and poured it out. That frost, that fog that forms from the freezing cold hitting the ambient temperature air. That dry ice fog stands roughly 10, 12 feet behind this recreation of you. What do you do? Can I call Zarin up there? Yeah. Um, I'll call Zarin up to come stand next to me and tell me what he sees. So as Zarin approaches and draws side by side with you, he sees exactly what you see, only it's an identical copy of him. And he tells you that the, he sees the fog behind the, the reflection of him as well.
Anything? I want Zadrian to touch it. Okay. Are you touching the frame or are you touching the reflection of yourself? The reflection of myself. Okay. As you reach out, the hand that comes from the reflection mirrors yours to the point where your hands meet and your fingers begin to interlock. You can feel it. This form, it's corporeal, it's real, it's solid, it's mass, it's skin, muscle, and bone. Feels just like your hand. But it's not causing me harm or anything. No. No, no. Do I waste a spell slot? Mirror, mirror on the wall. I'm going to cast Detect Magic. Okay. Yeah, so I'm going to use this first level spell slot to cast Detect Magic. For the duration, you sense the presence of magic within 30 feet of you. If you sense magic in this way, you can use your action to see a faint aura around any visible creature or object in the area area that bears any magic resemblance, and you learn the school of magic if there is any. The spell can penetrate most barriers, but if it is blocked, but it is blocked by one foot of stone, one inch of common metal, a thin sheet of lead or three feet of wood or dirt. Okay. Immediately you get uh, feedback from Detect Magic that this is Conjuration. But you can't put a finger on the spell's name. This doesn't seem like a spell that was created. This seems like an arcane effect that is as natural as the ground that you stand on. In the time that it's taken you to cast Detect Magic, that swirling 12-foot-tall column of fog begins to take a form of its own. Broad shoulders. And intensely almost godlike muscular appearance and over the course of about 30 to 45 seconds the form begins to mutate and shift and morph until you're looking at your father it's at this point that the reflection of you dissipates entirely until you are standing simply looking at your father. On the 
horizontal length of stone that acts as the top of the structure of this mirror you look up and you see in real time etching into the stone the infernal word for devotion and on the ground at your feet the words test the limits of your devotion I have no idea. Test the limits of my devotion? Yes. Zadrian, how far would you be willing to go to show your devotion to your father? Just what is the, what's the line that you would cross to show that above all else, unwaveringly, unquestionably, irrefutably, that there is no order that your father could give you that you would not obey? Would you sacrifice a piece of yourself? Or would you sacrifice someone you love? Or something that is so dear to you that for as long as you've lived, you've never thought of whether or not you could live without it? Would you sacrifice your powers? Would you sacrifice your staff? Your role in your father's armies? Or would you sacrifice your ability to ever return home? Or would you sacrifice one of your friends? Or would you surrender yourself to eternal servitude to someone that you never wish to serve as an act of diplomatic bargaining in order for your father to gain something in return if your father told you to join the hordes of mammon or subject yourself to astaroth's wrath in order to have your father's reign and territory extended, do you subject yourself to a lifetime of pain and torture? So, I feel like Zadrian wouldn't, but Zarin would. Because Zadrian worships the mother. Zarin worships the father. So in this case, 
probably what would happen is is Zadrian knowing what he's seeing and what he's feeling would say that Zarin is feeling the same too. And Zadrian would say to Zarin that he understands what he needs to do and forgives him. Zarin would respond and say that he would give up He would give up his status. He would give up his power. He would give up everything that he holds dear except for Zadrian to please his father. So Zarin would remove his sword, place it upon the ground as a show of representation that he is willing to give up everything except for his brother in order to advance his father and please his father. Zadrian would kneel with him but Zadrian worshipping the mother does not see the need to please his father the way that Zarin would need to he he would do what his father asked if it was within reason with, with something that doesn't cause harm or detriment to another person or to himself. Okay. So if his father asked him to like sacrifice himself or his brother to Astaroth for all eternity so that he could advance well beyond his means, Zadrian would not do that because that is destructive in his mind. Zarin would go that far to sacrifice himself to do so but at the very mention of doing any kind of harm to Zadrian in any such way physical or mental he would refuse but if it's harm to himself or to anybody else that does not hold any weight to Zadrian, like it, for example, Anon, Alara, Meldir, anybody that holds any form of connection in the deepest sense to Zadrian, he would not give them harm. But if he was told by his father right this minute to give up his life to Astaroth for all eternity, just so that his father could advance, he would do it without question. He would do it in a heartbeat. Excellent. So that little exchange of words between Zadrian and Zyron, that was spoken out loud, right? I'm going to say 
that it was spoken to them telepathically because they have that capability. They can speak to one another mentally without the need of spell slots or anything like that. Okay. So the act of pulling out the sword and kneeling, that still happens? For both of them, yes. As soon as both of you bend the knee, there is a sensation that you have not felt in several lifetimes. For the first time in a long-ass time, you feel cold. But it's not a harsh, painful, shocking, gripping, biting cold. It's more that first tingle of cold that you step out into on a snow-covered day as your father's form turns back into that dry ice fog wispy form and then begins to funnel itself into both you and Zaren. Now for the rest of the party you see everything that has just been described. But what you see after that, Zadrian and Zarin are fully unaware. Zadrian and Zarin, what you're aware of is the fact that you feel yourself being pulled to the other side. You're getting pulled through the mirror to where you were standing on the other side of that form. You look through it and you can see your party. But for the rest of can you... Can I interject, DM? Yeah. If if we're seeing that or seeing them getting pulled, Elera slowly, not like rushing, but she's slowly taking slow steps towards that. Okay. Not not getting too close, not like not like 10, 10 feet away, not that kind of distance, just walking as in, what the fuck am I witnessing? And she's got her hand on her, on her reaching on her back, holding the handle of the scythe as it's ready for something but she's not drawing it she's just preparing she's holding Lara that brings me on beautifully because you were up next ah great however like I said what the rest of the party see on your side of the mirror is Zadrian and Zarin Zadrian and Zarin vanishing completely out of sight Ilara, you mentioned you were taking slow steps. As you come within 20 feet, you don't see a reflection of yourself. You see the Matron of Ravens, that beautiful eight feet tall, feminine form, white porcelain mask, hair as long as down to the small of her back, jet black, perfectly straight, cloak of feathers ivory white skin and again you see the words across the top of the mirror devotion written in undercommon and you see written in elvish on the floor test the limits of your devotion now ask yourself Alara You've sacrificed so much for the Raven Queen. You've been through so much. Your trial, 
all the hardship, all the self-doubt, all the self-worry, all the self-conflict, the imposter syndrome, the pain, the anguish, the physical sacrifice, the emotional sacrifice, the constant uncertainty of where you stand in the pecking order, not just within your friends, but within where you stand in terms of your relationship with your patron. What's the line? What's the line of sacrifice that if Alara were to walk up to it and stare it dead in the face? That line, what is that line representative of that Alara would have to sacrifice before it became too much? So anyone somewhat close or near to Alera? Alera's pondering on her mind and I'll see that when she's starting to understand, you know, test of devotion, test of limits. And Alera looks at the reflection of the Raven Queen. Now, am I seeing the face or like a shadowy figure? Like, is it like a... Is it like I'm looking at the Raven Queen or like I'm looking at a shadow of the Raven Queen? You're looking at the Raven Queen. <laughs> Alara smirks. Right side of her face just starts smiling. <laughs> Alara looks down. <laughs> oh, oh. Right. Right. Well, you must know how far I'd go from my queen. How far would I push? Whatever fucking thing you are. <laughs> my queen would know when I've gone too far and I think I have gone far enough. I've already lived a life of hell. It was one that saved me, so... I've done enough. Now, I need to know if there's any bad reaction, because that would go into the next step of what I was planning. But I need to know how that would... If there'd be any difference first. So you're saying that you're unwilling no 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 so out of session right <laughs> like way way out of session <clears throat> Elera has split herself for her queen she has gone on insights for her queen she has caused herself trauma for her queen she tried to discover herself for her queen she's done brutal brutal things so already Elera's already seen that since she was brought back to life from the raven queen before she met Zarith and Anon she feels like she's already done what was asked of her and she's still actively doing so how far Alara's gone Alara's gone way too far she's gone over the line of the fact of she's done unspeakable things since since her first resurrection so she's seen herself as she's already done that task so why does why are you asking me to prove what I've already done if that's making any sense yeah yeah which I hope it is right 
she's already seen she's committed crimes and done unspeakable things, so she feels like she's done what was already asked of her. So that question. So you've shown the limit. You've shown the limits of your devotion. Essentially, is what I'm saying. Yeah. And I think if anything, Alara sees it as an insult. That question. Like she doesn't react badly, but she's insulted by that question, by that statement. Interesting. The Raven Queen's okay, how do I die? The Raven Queen's form <laughs> disappears. Until you're looking at nothing. And then Alara's mind, she's expecting to... She's expecting some sort of reaction to that whole sort of action of Alara's, like Alara's sort of thinking some negative thing is going to end up happening, or she's going to... She would think she'd be confronted by herself, but she doesn't think that would happen because she's already confronted herself a few times, so... Does Alara feel any different? Or do I need to make a roll for that? Or? No. Now, just to confirm, she saw Zarin and Zadrian get dragged in, or did they glide in? Let me remember. Uh, the, okay, let, let, let me use a real <laughs> specific uh, representation for it. Uh, Sirius Black getting pulled into the mirror in the Order of the Phoenix when he dies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That sort of okay. drift backwards. Yeah. That's essentially what happened to Zadrian and Zarin, but in a forward motion. Elera takes her, her scythe out. She, she was holding it on the handle the whole time, but she actually draws it now. And the scythe by her side. Wasn't well, not by her side, in front of her and holding it with two hands. You took my brother's. If they are hurt in any way, I will destroy this place. And the is going to go as close as she can to the mirror. Like I'd say about a centimeter, two centimeters away. Okay. Any difference or do I make a roll? You're looking through what you assume to be just a hollow archway. You don't see anything on the other side other than empty space. Zadrian and Zarin, you are watching Alara's action unfold. You're watching everything she's doing down to the fact that she is nose to nose with the mirror. But you do not get the sense that she sees either of you. <clears throat> so Alara's staring at this mirror slash archway and she's mm -hmm. wondering. Well... You did take my brothers, and I kind of need them to get out of here, so. Elera's gonna, like, not kick, but sort of put her, put her leg up to try and, like, tap, see if, if, I know it's looking like a corridor, but Elera's sort of like, well, if I sort of, if I don't, if, if, if my, if my foot doesn't touch anything here, then I'm walking through. 
your foot just continues to move forward until you feel your body weight shifting to where you're actually taking a step. So I would, I don't know if, I, if I'd be seen at all doing this, but Alara would turn her head round to the party. Now, I don't know if they see it or not, but if they did see it, well, sorry, regardless, Lara's going to say, they're here. And Alara's going to walk through. Now, whether the party saw that or heard that because of what was no, going on. Anon, to... Meldir, and Kala see you doing this. But when you step through that gap, you look back, you can see your friends, but you don't see Zadrian and Zaren. You're free to walk back across, or back and forth from the threshold of this, like, you know, from the the form of this mirror, but what happened to Zadrian and Zaren has not happened to you. Shit. <laughs> Well, I feel like it's best for the party to have their turn before I <laughs> panic. Um, um, <laughs> 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 okay, I'm gonna mute. <laughs> Anon. Yes. Do you approach? With hesitation. How close? Mm, I would say about five feet. As you come to a stop. You're walk the entire time you're walking towards where you take a stop at, there is a figure walking to meet you. Tall, athletic, not female, definitely elvish. Drow? Yeah. Definitely drow. Male. Young. Until you hit that five foot mark and you're staring face to face with your brother. Oh. Devotion lighting itself across the top of the mirror in Elvish. And an undercommon on the floor test the limits of your devotion. Now, Anon, you've been through hell figuratively hunting for Quave. You have been through hell emotionally and psychologically trying to figure out for your own closure and for your own peace of mind whether or not your brother is still alive and if he is where he is. And you have answers. You have piecemeal answers that you can stitch together but you've gotten them from sources that leave you even more emotionally turmoiled than when you were at the start of this journey your fear what you spoke to be one of your biggest fears of seeing your brother on the opposite side of the field of battle whereas it hasn't come a hundred percent accurately true you know for a fact he is unfortunately on the other side of this conflict through no fault of his own, through no malicious intent, but through a cruel series of happenstance, you find your brother staring back at you for the first time in over a century, 
clad in that anguishingly all too familiar armor that you have seen several members of the Wrathborn Legion wear. What's the one thing that Anon wouldn't do? What's Anon's line? What's the line Anon wouldn't cross even if the reward meant that she could get her brother back as well as the rest of her family. If the gods came down from beyond the divine gate and said to you, if you do this, we will rewrite your entire tragic past. We will make it so that your home was never raised to the ground. We will make it so that your family were never scattered, that you didn't have to live a life on the run, scared to return home, running from the fearful memory of that day. What's the task that would be too much for Anon to do that she just couldn't bring herself to execute? Anon knows. Does she dare speak it into, into reality? Do you want anyone that was caught in the mirror to deafen for effect, or...? No. No? Okay. I have missed you so much. And Anon's kind of extending her hand trying to reach Quave. Your hand gets closer and closer to where your fingers meet and his immediately clasp into yours. Anon, you never heard the, Ra the Matron of Ravens speaking to Alara. You never heard Zadrian and Zaren's father speaking to them. Meldir and Kala hear Quave speaking to Anon. Come home. Please. Just come home, Tiff. No more running. No more hiding. The search is over, Tiff. Come home. starts crying don't cry come on no no no, 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 no. don't cry I don't make a strength save uh. Mel Deer and Kala make perception checks 14 <clears throat> okay you need the 13 to pass 
as Quave speaks, that grip that his clasped fingers have on your has on your hand, for a brief second there, you swear you feel it pull. Make an insight check and follow up to that. Meldir, you notice the tension in, in her brother's arms and the slight pull. Not an aggressive pull. Just a retraction of the arm, maybe four inches at the most. Uh, 15. Feels like he was trying to pull you in for a hug. A warm embrace. I want my family. I want to be with you, but I will not sacrifice one family for another. You feel the grip lessen slightly as Quave looks at you and says but what would you do to get me back so much tell me would you put to the sword those that put us to the sword Yes, without hesitation. What if that wasn't an option? What if you were forced to forgive them instead? Could you bring yourself? Could you live with that, Tiff? Could you live with the fact that you would have to forgive them in order to have me back? Yes. I would do anything to get you back, apart from sacrificing them, and she kind of points round to the others, and the twins, they are my family also. What if we asked you to betray them? I will not sacrifice one family for another. I didn't ask you to sacrifice them. I asked it is you. the I asked same you. is sacrificing their trust in me. I will slaughter hundreds to have my whole family back, even If I have to forgive th those who slaughtered our home, I will forgive them. I will go to the ends of the earth. I will jump into the eternal abyss. So betrayal is where you draw the line. I will not betray 
or sacrifice one family for another. Make a deception check. Because I don't, I'm pretty sure I do not have to tell you this, but you know you're lying. Am I? Sixteen. Okay. Quave still has a grip on your hand. It's loose, but he's still clasped to your fingers. You feel that warmth that you haven't felt in over a hundred years. You haven't felt it since those last days back at home. But within the flash of a second, you see this boyish smile, this sweet, innocent, almost, almost joyful smile wash across your brother's face. As the grip begins to tighten, and you begin to get pulled into the mirror. Before you have a chance to react, you find yourself on the other side with Zadrian and Zaren. Looking back, you see Meldir, who is literally laser eye focused on you. Kala, who is stood hand on the hilt of her sword one foot forward, leaning, ready to strike. And as they watch you dissipate from view, Kala takes a flurry of steps forward, stopping less than 10 feet from the mirror. As Kala stared that stares down a reflection of her father, she grinds to a halt, her mouth agape, her eyes wide. Meldir, you see this roughly just shy of six feet. In terms of human years, late 50s, early 60s, long, pale brown beard, with the end, the ends beginning to grey, long hair tied back in braids, and pelt armor, wolf pelt on the shoulders, leather armor, cuirass, with all manner of ceremonial pins and metallic pieces attached and fastened to it. Kala reaches out with her father's reflection, mimicking hers. Father? She pulls her hand away, turns over her shoulder, looks at you, Mel, dear, before turning back and saying, I would give up the crown. I'd give it up. 
as a show of devotion, I would give up everything. I would give up my station. I would give up my leadership. I would I would give it all to someone who is wiser. Nothing happens. Kala doesn't get dragged. Kala doesn't get response. She stares confusedly at her father. <sighs> father, tell me. What is it you think is the limits of my devotion to you? I've given you everything. I've taken a crown that was never meant to be mine. I'm ruling a people. I never sought to rule. I understand that rain doesn't choose who holds it. I don't get to choose either. Part of me thinks that I would I would dispel this archaic belief of separation between the old and the new the historic and the modern the tribal and the modern is that one you want is my devotion to you to be to reintegrate our people dispel the barriers that keep us apart from the rest of the world My grandmother always told me that we were to stay separate. She fought so hard to keep those barriers. She fought for our isolationist beliefs. She fought for us to retain our lands. I always thought you carried on that fight. I thought that's what she wanted. I thought that's what I thought that's what you wanted. For the tribal planes to be eternal. Am I wrong? Kala drops to both knees before saying, In order to show that I am a hundred percent devoted to you, I would I would tear down the system. I will tear down the barriers. I will tear down the walls. I will tear down the ba the boundaries, the the borders, the the lines that divide our people from those like Anon and Zyron and Zadrian and Alara and Meldir, so that Vardor can simply be one again. It's at this point that Kala begins to drift into the mirror where Anon you watch as she comes through joining you and the twins leaving Meldir and Alara technically on the other side. Meldir. 
you're up. I don't wanna. <laughs> we all gotta do things we don't wanna do, <clears throat> bud. I'm kinda interested to see how in the world you're gonna play this out. Upon seeing... Am I just watching Alara kind of do that whole monkey hop through the barrier of the mirror? Kind of like, like is this thing working? <laughs> yep. Kind of like someone jumping with, uh, over uh, time zone barriers. You're like, oh, it's West Coast time. Oh, no, so, it's Central so time. So just out of session, right. So Alara's in a different section to what the other group are in the, in the mirror currently. You <laughs> and Meldir are all on the quote-unquote original side, whereas... Kala, Anon, and the twins have been pulled through. Okay, okay. So right. you can still see Meldir, and Meldir can still see you. But as Just far, as hopping far... back and forth between the barrier. Oh no, it wasn't. As soon as, I, as soon as I stepped through that mirror, I was I was in there, and I was just kind of like waiting for yeah to join me, like like Kala and Meldir. But when I when Alara doesn't see Kala join her, she's like, oh. <laughs> You don't and then Aaron. Alara <laughs> starts to back. In the back of her head, she's like, "Yeah, but I said I've like given everything to my queen. I'm not. I'm not going to question it. I'm not questioning it. They're here to fuck with me. It's hell. Come on, Alara. And then Alara's just going to go silent again. Well, she was saying that in her head anyway, but she yeah, just yeah. like remains silent. Meldir, you're up, bud. <sighs> Alright. You're gonna see Meldir inches away well not inches away, but take steps towards the hole that Alaire's playing in. And he's going to stop at exactly nine feet away from it. Mm-hmm. And he's going to stare intently into this void. Trying to see what the response would be. So. As Maldir approaches the mirror. You don't recognize. The reflection staring back at you. It's not some. Close associate. It doesn't strike you as someone close to you. They don't give off the divine radiance of a deity. No, standing in front of you just appears to be a small boy. Maybe nine, ten years old little tiefling boy cherry red skin stubby horns that haven't fully developed yet smooth complexion wearing some relatively decent clothing shirt ta slightly tattered waistcoat nothing fancy but not the typical peasantry clothing that you could conjure up in your mind 
No, this is this is this young boy's from Black Rage. Melody, ask yourself, after all the struggles and tribulations and trials and strains and arcane phenomenal acts that you have conjured in order to safeguard, protect, and defend your people, what's the one thing that acts as the limit? That hard stop. That one act of devotion. That one act of servitude. That Meldir genuinely feels he could not go above and beyond in order to show his people the unwavering loyalty that he has to them. This young boy who's never seen war. This young boy who's who wasn't alive when you were plane shifting the entire city of Blackreach to safety multiple times, taking them from your original home of Atlantis to Fedora to Vardor. This young boy who knows nothing of the grand scale of the multiverse, the grand scale of how dire circumstances can be when things go wrong. The dire, the dire circumstances of a literal god wreaking havoc upon the material plane. When the gods turn on their own people in an act of vengeance against their own kind. What's the hard stop? What's the... What's the absolute limit? Upon seeing the reflection of the boy... <clears throat> You're going to see something that Meldir has never, ever done before. You're going to see Meldir completely throw off his robe. Fall to both knees on the ground. And with a smile, he's going to reach out and try to touch the reflection of the boy. He's real. He's as real as you are. You're going to see Meldir grasp the boy's hand. And with that smile still on his face, he's going to look at the boy and say, You've never known war. You've never known pain, tribulation devastation that's by this very hand that I made it that way I know you you're the one that looks after us and I have been for a very long time why Because it's something that I decided a very long time ago that was the right thing to do. Do you always do the right thing? 
No. I'm not all. Hmm. But I had hoped through most of my actions that I would hope that no one who ever comes into the same position would ever have to make any right or wrong choices and question themselves. And all I'm going to say is I would forego my celestial affirmation if it meant the protection of you and everyone in that city. I would give up my ascension if it meant that you and every other person on this plane could see the light of day again. Those are some big words, mister. Those are some pretty big shoes. My mother always says, don't make promises unless you know you can uphold them. My father always says that deeds, not words. Actions speak louder than words. Your parents have a lot of wisdom. Well, they're old. But they also say that everyone's got their limits. Everyone has a line that they won't cross. My father won't kill. My mother says she never abandoned us. So what's the one thing that you won't do? I will not sacrifice another child, another person to have to suffer through what we have been through. I will not forego my allegiances to anyone, family or otherwise, just to ensure just one day of peace. That's a lot of things to promise. But who's going to hold you to it? Only the gods can do that. Hmm. The very same people who are of my same lineage. Have the gods ever been wrong? From time to time. So faith can be misplaced. 
faith is a very fickle thing. That's a big word for someone like me. I don't know that word. But you're smarter than me, so I'm going to I'm going to say yes. What a person does with that faith that defines how faith should really be. So, if I don't have faith in the gods, who should I have faith in? Yourself. But I'm just a boy. Even the smallest ant can move the biggest mountain. That's gonna be some big ants, mister. That's... I mean... Ants are only like this big and he holds up his fingers one thing about ants though is they work together true true just as the people in our city work together We got a lot of people. Well, we can do with some more. I don't know. It's getting a bit crowded. <clears throat> Borders don't define the limitations of a city. Cities grow, expand. That's the beauty of living in worlds like this. Being able to grow and expand and... See the wonders in everyone. He watches this young boy extends a hand, palm facing up. And you see, floating above it, a small piece of illusory magic. You see a world. Not Vardor. Not Atlantis. Not Fedora. But you see... A group of youngsters. You see a little elvish girl. You see this young human teenage girl with a crop of black hair and an odd, an odd style of what you assume is some kind of cloak you've never seen a cloak fashioned so minimalistically that looks to be made out of cowhide stained in black to match her hair her vaguely freckled complexion you see a kenku and then almost just out of obscure vision 
off in the distance, lingering way behind, you see this tall, spectacled owlin. The little boy looks and says, Huh. These look like people who have faith. These look like people who have faith in themselves as well as each other. Good people. You're right. You watched the illusion fizzle out of existence. And you feel yourself being pulled through the mirror. And before you know it, you're back with Zarin, Zadrian, Kala, and Danon. But Larry, you are um, still standing there. I'd like to... Um, no, nope, um, we're on a roll here. Keep it going, Alara. We got an hour left in the session. Mildred's going to stick his head through. He coming yet? <laughs> <laughs> Oi, hurry up. <laughs> no, so at this point, because Alara sort of said what she's done... She's already basically doing, showing her devotions and everything to her queen. She stood there going, My friends just got dragged through where I'm standing and they're not with me. And in her mind, she's like, I think there's another test to be done because we're in hell and my friends are in their group and I'm alone. Through the mirror, you hear Melder say, Well, duh. I wouldn't even hear that because you're in the mirror. Um, so. You're, you're, I'm there, but you're not with me. Um, so Lara's starting to panic away. She's like, no. Zaris, Zadrian said this was going to test me. And it's going to change us. Nothing more for me to say, so. Guess. Guess I'm on my own just now. Do you return to the mirror? I didn't think I didn't think it was possible for you to return. No, you, I, no, I know you can, see Meldir, but if you think of it literally as an archway, you can walk from one side. You can pass through the archway at will. And it's, just to confirm, the rest of the party could hear me. What, uh, what, I, what I'd be saying to the mirror? Yeah, they can see you. They can hear you. You right. just can't see or hear hear them. So Elera is actually going to stand out then and look back at the mirror. And she's just going to stare at whatever's there. Then tell, and she's going to shout, Then tell me what you expect of me. Have I not done a fucking naff? I've killed, I've slaughtered, I've worshipped, I've bowed, I've done things that you fucking asked me. What else do you expect from me? The form that appears now is not the Raven Queen. It's not female at all. It's male. Standing in the mirror, looking back at you, is Balin. You bastard. But not the Balin that you knew when you first traveled to hell. The Balin you first met when you arrived in Amdale and approached about the High Chancellor of Coins' corruption 
the Balin who you saw to be the right-hand man to the king, the public servant who did his duty. Yes, he had his flaws, but he did his duty. Standing there, standing tall, pristine in that all-too-familiar attire, you see Balin look to you and say, Sacrifice isn't always what you have to give up for someone else. It's not always about giving up something, Ilera. Devotion isn't just to a god or a group of people. Devotion also comes to oneself. What is the limit of your devotion to yourself? Adaragon. What's the one thing you've never come to being able to tell yourself? Or do I have to spell it out? Uh, uh gonna sigh. I, 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 I'm gonna say something after, but... <clears throat> Alara just sighs. <sighs> that I'm strong enough, that I'm worthy... You mean something. And so she finally realizes. I realized quite that before I just couldn't bring yourself to put it into words. Couldn't bring yourself to speak it into reality. For fear of someone disagreeing with you, am I right? Or maybe you would disagree with yourself. So I... I never said it because I don't... want this is too sure of myself, too cocky. Arrogance leads to... to blunders, leads to mistakes, leads to... Arrogance leads to... Arrogance leads to piety. And piety leads you astray. Ilara, sometimes in order to show true devotion to those around you, you need to show true devotion to yourself and admit that yes, you are worthy, you are enough, you do matter, and you are capable. Despite everything else, of course, any shortcomings that may be real or imaginary, you have to set them aside. Who are you really? I am who you know me to be. But I am no longer this. You wish I was. You wish I was still this so that you didn't have to have the desire to end me burning inside your heart. That hatred, oh. that twisted oh. revelation of betrayal and mistrust. Okay, here's something that's going to be very different now, DM. I don't want to kill Balin. I don't want to kill Ilya. I do not want this war happening. If anything, I wish to save them. And Alara's not knowing that the rest of the party are hearing this. 
I wish to save as much as I physically can before I drop dead. I thought, I thought I used to hate the Ilya. I don't, I, there's something beyond my even comprehension that I believe there's a way to save everyone. Not on a second chance, meaning, and if I, I will die proud knowing that I've saved someone that was on the opposite side. If that means I die in the process, then the gods decide my fate. But with these thoughts, with these actions, I have spoken, I have disrespected gods, I have disrespected the deceiver, I have spoken ill to gods' faces, and yet I'm not dead. They, had every, they have every opportunity to kill me on the spot, yet they don't. Tell me. Why? Why do I still draw breath? Because the end of your story has not yet been written. And neither has mine. We meet our ends when time allows it. We don't ask ourselves who is in control of our ends. Because in the end, is there ever one singular causality that is in control? Is there ever one singular power that decides when the end is the end? we fight for what is right and save as much as we can the deceiver will have his hand in this plane too i have to try i have to think outside the box i have to save as much as i can not have alone you, though have you ever asked yourself what happens to vardor if you were to destroy the deceiver Ilara, ask yourself what is a god This, in this war, there's going to be nothing off the limits. Everything's at risk. Everything's possible to get destroyed. But what happens if he stays? What happens if we fail? The same thing that will happen if you were to succeed. You don't know. You don't know whether or not destroying the Deceiver will actually save the lives of the people of Vardor. You don't know whether or not your defeat will mean the perish of all living lives in Vardor. Because if you are defeated, you will not be alive to see the outcome. And if you succeed, the outcome will unfold before your eyes and will be completely unpredictable. No one's ever destroyed a god. No one's ever taken down a divine power that has laid hand in the creation of the world on which you stand. 
Your friends may have conquered legions. Your friends may have spilled oceans of blood. Seen bodies stacked from the ground to the heavens. But none of them have ever laid the killing blow on a god and seen the aftermath. Alara's going to do a little grin again. As for your passion to save, be wary of the double-edged sword that that poses. Because who's to say that if you save Lady Visoran, you don't betray your friends? I've spoken with this with a couple. They have let their thoughts. They have let their. They have let their thoughts. Sorry, they have let their thoughts be known. Now whether. And then she's looking. Straight at, at that figure, Balin's eyes directly. If they weren't to have trusted me when I said that, they would have strangled me by now. Maybe they're waiting for the perfect time to strike. After all, I don't. you're in hell. So? They've had many chances to... My brothers and sisters have had many chances to hurt me, yet they haven't. And that, um, Ilera, is devotion. And you feel yourself getting pulled through until you were standing with the rest of your party members. Out of session quickly, DM. Mm-hmm. That whole thing. Obviously, like, I had to pretend, like, uh, as Larry, oh, sorry, Larry didn't know everything, but out of session, as Rob. Awkward. <laughs> did, did, would they have heard the figure of Balin saying stuff? Oh, they heard everything. Whoever, whoever got pulled through, you heard all of the subsequent conversations on both sides. You heard your friends talking and who they were talking to. And before one of you fuckers, mainly Meldir or Zarin slash Zadrian, come at me and ask. Yes. That's all I'm saying. Mm, you sneaky little devil. <laughs> I hadn't planned that, by the way. <laughs> Didn't plan that. You actually have. Uh, hold on, let me check. The let me check the transcript. You have yourself to thank for that. You threw me a hook, and I fucking took it. Any hoodie. Now that you're all back on the same side as, of the mirror as everybody else, I'm uh, I'm gonna show you what you're what you're greeted with, and if you follow us on social media, then uh, you may have caught a little glimpse of this before we started tonight's session. So Except we're not gonna ham it because we're getting copyright stri stricken. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. 
I'm surprised. I'm surprised that the Twitter account hasn't been hit with a DMCA yet. Don't fucking jinx it. Uh, here so, comes those dirty twenty accusations. <laughs> so, my lovely band of misfits, for the last hour of this session, on the last session of 2023, as you are all pulled through the mirror, initially you don't see what I'm about to reveal. What you see is fog and cloud obscured you can't see it, the expression you can't see two feet in front of you not quite two feet in this case but you get the gist so my lovely band of misfits as the fog clears as alara is pulled through the mirror you stand in the presence of this gargantuan dead oak tree the tree's bark is almost bleach white in color as though purgatory has sapped every ounce of life and vibrance out of the wood itself the branches on the tree are so numerous that it's almost unnatural many of the branches sway so gently that their movement is almost undetectable but others the ones bearing the weight of hanging souls can be seen clearly shifting gently from side to side. You all take a moment to look around your surroundings and notice that there are a number of irrigated lines carved into the floor of your surroundings flowing steadily with what appears to be blood. With a large lake-like pool situated at the base of the tree. You see that there are more branches bearing souls than not. And these souls don't seem to be incorporeal. They seem to be solid mass. Zarin and Zadrian already educated you on the fact that souls can be left here if the devils and the demons and the fiends that roam purgatory bid them to be so lesser in quality that they're bored of them or they tortured them beyond the point where it becomes pleasurable for them they can be cast aside as a physical and everlasting reminder of their pain and suffering and pain and suffering is what you see staring you in the face not 10 feet away from you as you look at the branch closest to you hanging is the form of a young man of human descent around 20 years old who has been flayed from head to toe to such a degree that the tendons and sinew that bind together his muscular structure are so visible that you could follow their paths with a finger if you looked closely enough. The muscles themselves appearing to be tight and dried out as though every last drop of moisture 
has evaporated away, leaving nothing but tough meat on the bones. The eyes glazed over, the lips cut off, and fingernails ripped out in, in such a fashion that appears that they've been ripped out by teeth. To your right, a deathly thin female form hangs by her own hair, twisted in such a fashion to form a noose. The skin on her hair, her hairline meeting her forehead is visibly split from the tension as she leans just a couple of degrees forward, showing that the tension has caused her hair to peel back over time. A Chelsea smile etched into the corners of her mouth from lips to ears, cut so deep that it causes the skin of her cheeks to fall limp, exposing her jaws. To the left, you see hanging souls mutilated in such a fashion you cannot tell or distinguish a race, let alone gender identity at all. As you all stand 15 or so feet away from this tree, Zadrian. This tree shouldn't be here. Something is wrong and something has brought this tree here. Make a history check with advantage. You've already wait, do you already get advantage on history checks, Zadrian? On history, no. Go ahead and roll with advantage then. Uh, I'm definitely going to take that dirty 20 and not that three that I just rolled. <laughs> dirty 20. Excellent. This tree is from Minaros, the second layer of hell. And you know that for something to have been transported from one plane of hell to another, albeit possible, is no easy feat. And can only be done by a demon or a devil of substantial power. A demonic entity strong enough to literally rip a piece of landscape from hell and transport it to another level. You know that trees like this wouldn't go so far as to call them rare. I wouldn't go so, par so far as to call them scarce. But they're a symbol of pride. They're a symbol of territorial marking. So, over to you. All of you. This gruesome, grotesque symbol of pain, suffering, and anguish standing before you. What do you all do? I simply must get the name of their decorator. Hey. Oh, oh no, I'm not me. How do we tell if their soul coins have already been taken or not?
fact that they're on the tree is enough. Okay. Elera just, after having her scythe uh, in her hand, just drops her scythe to the ground and she's just staring at these eat up tormented souls and just looks. Then she'll quickly sort of try and pick up the scythe again and And all my time coming here, why do I get the feeling that this is not supposed to be here? Because it's not. What? It's not supposed oh. to be here. What? What? Then where is it supposed to be? Zadrian, if, if I'm understanding my historical knowledge on this correctly, isn't this supposed to be a border marker of some kind? It's not even that. It's this. These trees grow on the second layer of hell, but they grow in that layer. Easiest way to describe this do you know how a dog will urinate on a spot to mark its territory? To basically uh, tell other dogs that this belongs to that dog. That's what this tree is for. It's literally here to mark territory for whoever planted it. So whoever planted this tree is basically using this tree as a sign to tell the other demons that roam this area to fuck off. But there's worse news. Because whoever brought this tree here had to have come from the second level, which means that they had permission. If I remember correctly, you said a lord of, a, a lord, a of one of one level could not access other levels unless granted permission. That, or they snuck in, and they have yet to be caught. If this came from the second layer, who is supposed to be lord over the second layer? So. Forgive me, but I have to pull up my handy damn D map <laughs> out of session. I mean, Mel dear, the only ones I can really remember is Asmodeus, because he kept your your sort of was, was trapping your father. Then there was Fury. Then I don't. Any mother lores were mentioned to us that Adrian. So I was doing an RP by the way, just in case. <laughs> but Mayhem, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Are we going by D D lore or are we going by Dante's Inferno lore? Because there's a big difference. <laughs> Indeed there is. Uh <laughs> <laughs> We're going by D&D &D lore. D&D &D lore? Okay. Yeah. 
So there's a big difference. I, 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 I'm going to hold myself up high and say I am not intellectually capable enough to fully, fully understand Dante's Inferno. I have read <coughs> chapters of it. I find it fascinating. I really do need to do a bigger deep dive into it, but I do not intellectually so, comprehend it enough to... That was one of the books that I had to take a class on when I was getting my PhD in oh, uh, religious studies. It's it's on my it's on my list of books to, you know, very detailedly read before I die. So, okay, so... Out of session history lesson for everybody here. So, in D and D lore, the second level of hell is known as Dis D I S, or referatively known as the layer of um, it's not really greed. It's more like despair. In a in a way, the 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 way that it was described in, which this is like, spoiler alert, if we get to this point, um, so the layer of dis, imagine it like a giant casino. <laughs> um. It's, because, ruled, it's ruled by Despair, the Iron Duke. Yeah, so... I'm not going to say anything more, but it it that's where a lot of the soul coins come in and out of. And I'm going to be completely upfront and honest with you. You're going to go there eventually. And... <clears throat> This is the reason why this arc is not a full-fledged campaign. If I'm, if I can put it as bluntly as that, that's all I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So, um, however, the differences between the D and D lore and Dante's Inferno lore is that the next layer of hell for Dante's Inferno is lust. So, the difference between the two is astronomically clear. Lust. I actually have to. It, I actually have to correct myself. Uh, looking at my notes, Minaros is not the second layer, layer. It is the third. I got that wrong. That's on me. Yeah. I apologize. Yeah. So Dis Dis is in a in the best way possible without spoiling a lot of what happens in this it is a giant fucking casino mineros is the third layer and that one um that one scares the living fuck out of me it's gross that's the only way it's, i can describe it's it it's disgusting it's gross. It's, a, it's it's horrid a little bit of homework for uh, my players uh, in the two-week break that we've got after this session. Just go and, um, um, just go and do a Google search of D&D Cybriax. Yeah, it's it's quite grotesque. But yeah. the, 
the differences in Dante's Inferno versus the D&D lore as far as the nine layers of hell, essentially what they've done is rename them, but rearrange the layers into different places, except for the first and ninth layer. So all of the layers are rearranged in a different way and have their names changed except for the first layer, the one we're currently on, and the last layer. So in Dante's Inferno, those two layers are the exact same. Nothing about them is different. The rest of them are rearranged and their names have been changed. Uh, the names on the D&D one for the first and last layer have also been changed to fit the lore, but their primary purpose is the exact same. There's nothing different about the two. Yeah. Well, great. That's the thing. How lovely. <laughs> so, this tree is, and from layer three. is it for... So the tree is from the second layer. No, third level. Our third level, third level. Um, it's from... Um, Minaros. Uh, Minaros, which Minaros is the the very grotesque layer. It's the disgusting layer. Oh, it's, oh yeah. it's, That's where the thing was born. Um, but these trees are like, like a... And back in character, like I stated, they're grown to show off territory for that layer's generals. Um, the the biggest of the trees belonging to the ruler of that layer, but they're there to show off and mark territory they are there to basically show that i'm a big dog this is my spot don't fuck around in my spot <sighs> so there is a there is either a Sounds like there's a territorial struggle going on. There's a territorial struggle, but there's also a situation to where that we may or may not be in a lot of trouble because we don't know how powerful this demon is. It it could very well be somebody that is of the lowest stature possible for that layer who just got lucky and snuck out and managed to make it up two floors without getting caught. Or it could be on the other end of that scale and be a fucking general who walked right past all of the guards, made it up to the first layer of hell, and decided that they're going to take over some territory on the first level and have yet to be caught. Because if they were given permission to be up here, this tree wouldn't be here. If they were given permission to be here, we wouldn't be standing where we're standing right now. So I honestly believe that they somehow snuck up here and have not yet been caught and have marked their territory. 
know about you guys, but I did not bring my woodcutter's axe with me. Oh, we're not touching this tree. We're not touching this fucking tree. Adrian, just lead us the fuck out of here. As Alara says that, Kala holds up a hand, gesturing for silence. Adrian, she catches your your attention with the gesture. You notice the hand go up. And as you turn in her direction, you follow her hand as it points out. And she's pointing towards the southwest side of the tree. She looks to you and says, there's something in there. Zadrin, do you see that? Tell me you see that. I can't I cannot be the I can't be the only one. Uh Nat 20 on perception with a plus seven for a total of twenty-seven. Beautiful. Looking around you, Zadrian, you can tell that these channels, these flowing channels of blood are several feet deep. But the mass body of water in which this tree is situated in is substantially deeper than the irrigated chambers that flow out of it. Which gives an even grander scale, sense of scale to the tree because, you know, this tree must be massive if its roots are unfathomably hidden beneath the surface of the water or the blood. But poking out only a few inches and almost indistinguishable from the coloration of the tree itself, except it's a little bit darker. And there's no bark-like etching on it. You see two angled things jutting out from the surface level with curves, almost like sickles with their curvature. As Kala directs your attention there and you're looking at it it's when it's at that point that you begin to see bubbles bubbles on the surface of this body of blood before whatever it is that was there beneath the surface begins to rise and you begin to see this form take shape after a mere couple of seconds, you're looking at this 12, 14 foot tall, thin, rake-like demon, faceless, horned, long, gangly arms with longer, razor-sharp claws, 
hunch over towards you as it drags itself out from this body of liquid. And all you hear is... You are now staring down your first demon lieutenant. And in 2024, on January 11th, Duggies and Dargans will pick up with your fight against the Demon Lieutenant Yeltsin, who, by the way, is a CR-23. Ladies and gentlemen, with that horrifying picture, that horrifying combat prospect looming three weeks from now i am revealing this to my players so that they have time to think look over their character sheets and come up i'm running my will too and come up with a strategy i am not going to tell them that they have to be in constant communication with each other but it doesn't matter the strategy tra- strategy because we're still gonna have to roll for it which is neither a good or a bad thing but also dm thank you for progressing us to level 13. <laughs> no right. no thanks for progressing no. us to level 13. no thank you for progressing us no. to level 13. no thank you no. for progressing us to level 13. No. i will have that character sheet ready for you by the end no. of you really won't tomorrow you really won't <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I keep already have to level ready. 13. <laughs> <laughs> I've got mine to level 20. But ladies, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for progressing us to level 13. Ilara, shut up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to close out this session, this final moments of 2023, with a couple of points. 2023 has been a phenomenal year for Duckies and Dargons. We have erupted through so many of our goals i personally as dm of this goal of dm of this podcast had a goal to reach two and a half thousand complete listens before the end of 2023 and i'm happy to say that due to the immense and overwhelming support from the DD and the ttrpg and the podcast communities as well as through word of mouth from not only my players telling other people about this podcast, but, you know, their friends telling other people about this podcast, we have destroyed that goal. I don't have an exact number in front of me right now, but we are a minimum of 3,600 listens deep throughout the course of this podcast, which blows my mind. The secondary goal that I had for this podcast this year was to reach an average listener base across all 12 months of 10. And we had three months back to back to back where our peak listener count for each of those months was so astronomically high that I did the math today and the average listener base for Duckies and Dargons in 2023 was 37.4, which is... Who's the point for a human? 
it's it's averages it's <laughs> listen it's a halfling you see a couple there, of legs there, and there, arms no, and a couple a, of heads somewhere, <laughs> somewhere out there there's a halfling that's listening to this podcast so thank you whoever you I are the eggs were listening oh. <laughs> but again we we laugh we joke we i mean it though from the bottom of my heart as dm of this podcast and of this campaign thank you not only to the the community who follows the storyline that we we play out here on a thursday night and upload on a friday whenever we can obviously life gets in the way sometimes but thank you to you guys to tony to rob to anon to nick my players thank you because there's been a multitude of plot points that we've gone through this year that you guys have made so much better than I could ever have anticipated them. And I just, I, 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 I do get emotional about it from time to time. I do. And the main emotion that I get is gratitude. Gratitude that you guys stick through all my bullshit. You stick through all my, my fuck ups, my, my stumbles, my, my miswordings, you know, my inability to, to find the right words to describe crucial moments and you guys just hit it out of the park every single time. So thank you from the bottom of my heart to each and every one of you for continuing to make this podcast and this campaign what it is. And I, I'm going to interrupt you, Mr. DM. Um, the, the campaigns themselves have been like this campaign, like it was my first like character that he created on the first proper like full full experience with D&D and I've absolutely loved every minute and to you as a DM where you're storytelling it's you that's got us well it's got me obsessed with the lore the story points more attached to characters than probably I should have been and then discussing things with you like giving you messages about you know I'd like to try these things out and also the most important thing above all else Thank you for for leveling leveling less leveling Thank you for leveling us up to th- level thirteen. No, you're not getting to level thirteen, Rob. And I swear to God, if you come to the, I would have worked so much better if I didn't fucking like tongue it with If you come to, if you come to session on January eleventh with a thirteen le- a thirteenth level player sheet, you'll be the first to die. <laughs> So think about that. Sorry, I bit Alera's been resurrected several times, and to be honest, you can't kill Alera. But you want a bear? You're not you're you're not gonna kill Alera. Wanna bear? Not until it's deemed not until it's deemed fit. Oh, it's been deemed fit, don't worry. We we've already had someone die. Yeah. Mr. Zaris. No, he's not the dead. Teethling. He's not dead. The teethling's no longer <laughs> with us. The teethling is split into two separate beings, which is original form, but the teethling I'm itself not dead! The teethling <laughs> itself, the blue... Okay, okay, tell me, tell me. Is anyone who looks identical to Zaris that's with us right now? They have looks blue exactly skin! The same. <laughs> you know, I'm starting to get the feeling that Rob's a little resentful of the fact that Zaris isn't here. <laughs> oh no, no, I don't know, I just, I, I've done it for like, like RP purposes, yeah. and I've done it for like... When Nalera had her moments telling like Kala off and others people off, she used Zaris like obviously she knows Zaris is back to the way he should be and it's who, who he is and blah 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 blah. It's who they are. But a little bit, you know, just kind of like when I explain things like Zaris, it kind of I feel like it, for other NPCs sort of get where I'm coming from in that. But 
Mm-hmm. Anyhow, I get it. Yeah, thanks for upgrading this. No. Nah. 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 Not happening, bro. Not happening. But I will say, I will say this before we before we officially wrap up the uh, the session. Um, I want to say a massive congratulations, and I feel like this next bit's not necessarily necessary, but all the best of luck to Tony because, and I'm not going to go into any like extensive details, so don't worry about that, Tony. Um, Tony <laughs> is going to be spending the next two weeks, um, which is why we're coming back on January 11th rather than any, like, any Thursday between now and then. Um, Tony is moving. Tony is moving in with the love of his life, and he is starting a new chapter. And I just want to say, because I've said it before, but I'm going to say it again anyway, I couldn't be happier, bud. Really, honestly couldn't. You guys are amazing together, and I cannot wait to see what 2024 brings for both of you. I know that we joke about the t- we joke about things all the fucking time. We joke every single time we're in VC together, but genuinely, 2023 for everybody has been a fucking struggle, and you having this opportunity and elevating this aspect of your life is just the perfect ending that we needed for 2023 and i'm gonna take a two week shit <laughs> it's gonna Listen. be difficult doing all those podcasts from the hospital isn't it tony i'm so glad that you mentioned that so mayhem if you don't mind could i please make an announcement uh i'm scared no. but sure so Yes, it's true that for the next two weeks, I'm going to be spending it moving to a different, a completely different part of the country, mm-hmm. uh, moving in with, as Mayhem has stated, and as I will state, the the absolute love of my life that she has brought nothing but joy and happiness into my world. Um, and the announcement that I would like to make is, is that... Uh, Starting after we come back, so hopefully in the month of January, both Dirty 20 and Adventuring High will be coming back. Uh, We are going to make a grand entrance and a grand return in the month of January, and I could not be more excited. Um, I I have been anticipating this for a while. Uh, it has been too long since we've been back into both sessions uh, at here. It, it's mostly on my part due to financial reasons and other things that have been happening in my life. But uh, thankfully, that is no longer going to be the case. The moment that all of this this next two weeks is all said and done, I will not be having that issue anymore. I, my life is going to be changing and completely different manner and thankfully because of that change it is going to allow me to be able to start back up both podcasts simultaneously and be able to finally finish off both of these campaigns and uh see what the future holds for the dirty 20 my my brother in christ 
I have forgotten what it means to be a player. <laughs> and I don't yeah. like it. <laughs> you need to refresh big time. Listen, I, look, look I, 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 was about, I was about to bring that up. Listen, <laughs> we took a break from Dirty 20 once before, and it wasn't a fucking substantial break. It was a couple of weeks, and that was because of illness rather than, you know, other uh, life commitments getting in the way. We needed, we needed, and that we needed a refresher then. I swear to you. We are gonna. I'm. I'm gonna need because the episodes haven't been uploaded yet. I'm gonna need the mother of all refreshers for both campaigns. Here's a for you. Stay away from demon doors, Rhaegar. So, so I. When it comes to the first story, I have yet to decide if we're going to upload all of the episodes first and then come back. Or if we're just going to jump right back into it and continue on with the story from there. I personally would rather, if it were up to me, go in and get all of the episodes uploaded so that everybody has access to them and everybody can listen to them and catch up and be on track as to what's happened since we last left off. Um, that would be my decision, but that was something that I wanted to talk with everybody that's involved about first, because that also allows me to do the other thing, which is to also simultaneously jump back into Adventuring High at the same time. So I would be able to do sessions for Adventuring High on Sundays while at the exact same time uploading episodes, not monthly, but bi-weekly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so um, I would rather do that, but I want everybody's consent on that before we do any drastic changes. Because I personally think that it would be better for us to do it that way, to upload all of the episodes and then do sessions for adventuring high that way that none of us are stressed out and we don't get burnout and everybody can get caught up just let me that roll, way just, just let me roll the fucking just, dice tony just let me roll my fucking dice <laughs> i'm gonna so let want... you roll the fucking dice <laughs> I i'm gonna let you do it wait hang on Nahum, I just realized you've played three characters in Tony's campaigns. You've played as Rhaegar, you've played as Ilya in Adventuring High, but you've also played as yourself. Yes. In that, Adventuring that High, fun. you played oh, as that yourself. Was fun. Fuck. That was fun. That was such a fun episode. That was such a fun episode. I fucking, I fucking hated that. Any, any hoodie, any hoodie, we're getting off track. Ladies and gentlemen, the return of Dirty 20 and Adventuring High We've got goals to smash for Duckies and Dargons. We've got Tony moving across the country. I thought he was having a wank. For fuck's sake, Rob. <laughs> we have a lot. It's after. We... Oh, God. Wait, you're moving over your life up, and you're going to be wanking? Up, That's quite shut concerning. Up, shut up. <laughs> shut up. We have... Um, so many positives to look forward to 
but we're missing out what I'm going to be selfish and call the biggest one of them all, and that is myself and Anon's wedding. To wit, I alluded to this a little tiny bit before the session started tonight. I'm going to go ahead and relay a detail to three of my players. The 15th of February, which is a Thursday, I've checked, I've double checked before anybody calls me out. 15th of February, there will be a session. However, Anon will not be here. Anon will not be involved in the session. It will be me as DM, Rob, Tony, and Nick. Now, notice. I'm not using your characters' names. However, you will be using your character sheets, but you're going to be playing as yourselves because we have a very special one-shot. And I'm going to tell you right now, y'all have a time limit on this one-shot because I have structured this one-shot to go live at a very special time. And when we all find out what that entails. I know that at least Rob is going to be looking at me going, that was a smart way of doing it. So that's the only details you're getting right now. February 15th, there is a special one shot that you have a timer for. It does mean that we will have to start ever so slightly earlier than normal. I'm letting you know now. So, be prepared for that, guys. I know you can't pl plan two months in advance, but I'm letting you know that session, we have to start earlier. But we've got that to look forward to. In the meantime, ladies and gentlemen, have a wonderful festive period, regardless of whether you celebrate the holidays or not. I hope that you all have a chance to live, laugh, drink, eat your heart out, and you know, just have a, have a wonderful time. Finish off 2023 with a smile on your face, a full heart, a full belly, and w walk into 2024 with aspirations in mind. Maybe you've got some goals of your own. And uh, yeah, I'm not going to be that guy that says make 2024 your year because that's fucking cliche as shit. Make 2024 great again. No, that. <laughs> ne please don't ever, please don't ever say that again. Ugh. <laughs> I was not expecting. I was in a shit impression. I was not expecting that reaction from Tony. <laughs> Any hoodie. Make D and D fantastic, best in the world. <laughs> Go into twenty twenty four with a smile on your face, and create at least one goal for yourself, and stick to it. Because at the end of the day, if you can achieve something, you put a smile on your own face. So, from all of us here at Duckies and Dargons, thank you very much for your support. We'll see you next year. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe. But above all else, try and, figure, level level 18. Try and figure out what the <laughs> fuck this demon lieutenant is up to, because this is going to be one hell of a fight. He's a demon, he's a demon. He's a demon. Christmas!